0: The Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 97. You can find it at page 596 of your pew Bibles. And I was told to just read it and not say anything else. So here we go. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame, those who boast in idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Let those who love the Lord hate evil. For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light shines on the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The New Testament lesson is from Titus 3, verses 1 through 8, found on page 1201 in your pew Bibles. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning, Sherman Street. I like it when you respond. (laughs) Um, So we are in Titus today, uh, continuing our journey through the Bible. Um, And Titus is a letter from Paul, or it could be somebody who's writing in the tradition of Paul. Um, And he's giving guidance to Titus, who is a young leader who has been given the job of helping set up the church in Crete. Um, He's kind of like an itinerant pastor. And one of the major uh, tasks of this letter is um, to help Titus, to help the church, to faithfully live out the gospel in their context. Um, that's always been a task of the church, whether it's then or now, to discern what can we affirm about our culture, what do we have to reject, and how do we do that well? Um, Christians over the years have answered, Is it going in and out? Are we good? Okay. If it stops being good, just like wave your hands or something. Uh, Christians over the years have answered those questions in lots of different ways, um, sometimes engaging in culture intentionally, using its own symbols and its own language in order to communicate the gospel, um, sometimes completely withdrawing like living in monasteries or caves, or even in the case of Simon Stylitis, living alone at the top of a pole. Um, there have been seeker-sensitive churches and intentional communities. And there's no, really no one way to do it right. It's uh, something that we have to discern, and different Christians have different callings. But we always have to be asking these questions. What do we affirm and submit to for the sake of the gospel? And what do we challenge outright? And how do we do that well? I mean, since its inception, the Christian faith has offered, well, has really brought confrontation with its surrounding culture. I mean, we follow Jesus, who got himself executed for treason. And his followers went around declaring that he was the king of every other king and the lord of every other lord and, more than that even, God in the flesh. The early church challenged the religious and political institutions and there was no shortage of Christians imprisoned or even executed for the stance they took. There's also, kind of on the flip side of that, some places in Paul's letters where it seems like he's saying, look, the gospel... Oh, there it went. The gospel makes you free, but you got to kind of rein it in a bit. We still want to be credible to the culture that we live in. So there's this, like, balance in the way that we um, choose what we will affirm, what we will challenge, how exactly we'll go about those things. Um, And in all of the things, Paul is asking, how does your behavior serve or detract from the gospel? And the gospel is kind of the bottom line. So in chapters 1 and 2 of Titus, Paul gives some concrete answers to some of those questions specifically for the church in Crete. Um, Not everything translates into our context very well. Paul calls Titus to select some upright leaders, which in and of itself was apparently quite a challenge to the Cretan culture. Um, He then uh, tells Titus to instruct the people that they should be people of character and kindness in whatever role they find themselves in even to the point of slaves being obedient to their masters, which of course rubs us the wrong way, and it should. But it made some sense then and there for a very small community with little to no power in the Roman Empire, where slavery was quite different than American slavery. Paul's instructions are all about how each choice will impact the gospel particularly the preaching of the gospel. And he's holding this balance. And you can see that because he's giving his advice through the form of household codes, which would have been um, like, I don't know how to say, it, like a form of writing that teaches Roman people how to, uh, how to behave in their, in their own households. But he's also kind of altering them. So he's trying to walk this line uh, of being in the world, but not of the world. But his advice is specifically for Titus in Crete in the Roman Empire, which means, you know, there's a lot we don't know about the context. There's a lot. We don't even know who Titus is, right? Like, maybe he's a super trustworthy person, and so when Paul says some of this stuff, he's like, I know how Titus will take this. Maybe he's super impulsive, and so Paul feels like he needs to rein him in. Like, we just don't know. Um, And there's a lot we don't know just about the situation, these kinds of things need to be discerned by every community and every individual. What are your giftings? What is your community like? What is your culture like? And how do you live as a, distinctively as a Christian within that place? And we engage in that discernment every day, right? We ask the questions like, do we put a Black Lives Matter sign in front of our church? We said, yeah. Even though it makes some people mad, Christians and otherwise, do we as Christians use money And private property, have private property, even though God gave everything in creation freely. We say, yeah, even though our system is far from perfect, right? Do we vote? Yeah. Even though there's a lot of flaws in democracy too, right? Do we uh, follow the courts of the law? Yeah. Even though it's pretty, like, it's not how we would set it up for the perfect system. Do we use social media? Like some of us do, and some of us not, and some of us witness by the way we use it, and some of us by the way we abstain. There's, you know, there's these kinds of questions in everyday behavior. What kind of food do we eat? What kind of clothes do we wear? And some of these things are going to be things that every Christian everywhere agrees on, and some of them are going to be discerned differently in different communities by different individuals. But like Paul, we continually ask this question, how does this impact the gospel? What does this communicate about our faith, our God, our community? How does, this behave, how does this train us in virtue and vice? Or you could sum it all up with, how does this help us to love God and to love neighbor? And from the answers to these questions, we make our choices. By the time we get to our text in chapter three, the advice has less to do with the specific things that we participate in or challenge, but now it's about how we offer our challenge to the world. Um, And the answer, entirely unsurprisingly, is that we do it humbly and with love in every case, which is easy to say and very, very difficult to do. Um, Paul says, remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Um, basically, he's just saying, like, remind the people that though they belong to the kingdom of God, they are still a part of this society. And so generally, they should follow the rules. And for the most part, you know, laws are made for everyone's good. And so we follow them to that extent. But we are free, You know, we are free, and so we use our freedom, as Paul says elsewhere, for the sake of doing whatever is good. That said, I think it's also, um, we can choose to be subject to the authorities in the very same way that Jesus chose to be subject to the authorities. He spoke up, he challenged the religious and political authorities, and then, when they said so, he went willingly to the cross. Christians have a long history of getting arrested or killed for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of justice. And that too, I think, is a way of being subject to the authorities. Paul's concern is that believers are, first of all, doing good for everyone in the way that they interact with the world. He goes on in verse 2, he says, Remind them to slander no one to be peaceable and considerate and always gentle towards everyone. Now, that sounds kind of like he's saying, like, just tell them to be nice. Um, But all of those instructions, actually, I don't think that the translation gets it through very clearly, but all those instructions have to do with how, with the tension that comes when you disagree. As a Christian, your life should be distinctive. And whenever someone does something differently than others, particularly if it's for moral reason, there is a tension that comes up, right? I mean, I feel it because I like to use glass containers, and sometimes that upsets people. <laughs> There's just tension that comes. Um, and with that also comes the temptation to elevate yourself, to justify that, your position in that tension by looking down on other people. And Paul is saying, You have to refuse to do that in every instance. That is a distinction that Paul wants them to hold on to, and I think we should too. Slander no one, he says. And that's not really about gossip. The word could be translated vilify. Vilify no one. Don't demonize them. I think we're uh, particularly feeling that temptation around COVID conversations these days don't demonize them. Jesus says something similar in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that if you call someone a fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell, and that that kind of behavior is not actually that far from murder. Christians don't get to write people off. We don't get to name call and Tony and I were listening to Renee Brown the other day, and um, she was talking about how the first steps towards like, atrocities like genocide and enslaving whole people groups, they always begin with language. They always begin with how we speak about other people, allowing ourselves to, say, compare them to animals or um, just use language like they're monsters, somehow less than human. And then we can start treating them like they're less than human. Christians don't get to do that. So when we're talking about our political enemies or those whose behavior we see as harmful, we still have to speak of them with the reverence of those belonging, with the reverence belonging to those who bear the image of God. I think that's different I really don't want you to hear saying that I am saying you just have to be quiet in their presence. You can never disagree with them. Um, calling out someone's bad behavior is a way of honoring them as you call them back to their humanity. But we don't get to degrade them. Remind them, he says, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle towards everyone. So being peaceable is like it sounds you know, try and get along. But being considerate, um, maybe would be better translated be conciliatory. Uh, It has to do with being fair and reasonable and patient. Um, It's not like we would think, oh, be considerate, like offer them a cup of tea if they're feeling bad. Uh, That's not what it is. It's the work that we do to try and understand someone else's perspective. It is the work that we do to try and see the good in what they're saying. Or even just to sort of say, I can understand why they're saying that. Um, It's the, you know, give and take when we argue. And all of this is also super difficult to do, right? But it is what we naturally do when we believe that others actually have something good to offer. Um, That they aren't just a fool. It requires humility, and actually that's another way that you could translate this word, is to be humble. And same with the last one, being gentle with everyone, you could also translate that humble. Um, In all of these things, Paul is basically saying, look, you have something beautiful and true in the gospel, and it will challenge those around you, and don't be a jerk about it. Don't be self-righteous and judgy about it. And obviously, at different points in Christian history, we've done that well, and other times not as well. Um, Sometimes incredibly violently, not as well. Paul then goes on to explain why we try and offer this challenge in a humble way, and the rest of this little section is that he says, we are kind because Jesus was kind to us. And that's the only reason we have what we have. We insist that people are valuable for the same reason that we do everything else, for the sake of the gospel and because it is what is true about the gospel. Because it is what is true about who God is. Love is at the heart of the gospel and you cannot live out the gospel without love. It doesn't matter how right you are. You cannot communicate the gospel without love. And as soon as it loses the love, it ceases to become the gospel. Thank God that Jesus' kindness to us did not depend on our having everything figured out. Jesus isn't gracious to us because we are such good people who live perfectly all the time. Jesus is kind because Jesus is kind. Jesus is kind because God is love. And that is the reason that every one of us is welcomed in. Paul says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of, our God, of, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. I get a little stuck on that section because it sounds like a super harsh description of people who are not Christians. Um, He says, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. Uh, But I actually don't think that he's describing, you know, every individual outside the church. I think he's saying, look, no matter how they disagree with you, no matter how bad their behavior is, like, no matter how they live differently or think differently than you, even if they behave terribly, you weren't that much better So, like, there are clearly so many good people outside the church. I don't, like, we can't really argue with that. It's just that once you see Jesus, you start looking at everything differently. Like, I wonder, as Paul writes this, if he's thinking about his own story. Right? I'm sure he would call his past self foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. He was an ambitious Pharisee. Convinced that he was doing good as he hunted down Christians and oversaw the stoning of Stephen. He was strident and angry, being hated by others and hating them too. And then the scales fell from his eyes. And I honestly, I can see this pretty clearly in my own life. I didn't hunt anybody down. (laughs) But I can see the ways that I was that I have been, and in lots of ways still am, foolish and deceived. Enslaved by lots of passions and pleasures. And if my faith didn't put limits on these things, I can see the ways I would get carried away. I can't say that about everyone, but I can say it for myself. Tony and I had a long discussion about like what would be different for us. And a good exercise might be to do that with your own self or maybe with a small group, like how would your life be different if you were not following Jesus? In what ways would you be the same? How would your ethics change? Um, Facebook knows me pretty well and uh, it's always advertising this t-shirt to me. Um, It says, love thy neighbor and then it expands that to like It says, love thy immigrant neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy atheist neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy depressed neighbor, and on and on. Like, it's nice. Uh, (laughs) But it's also kind of, like, it strikes me that it is the, for my, you know, demographic, it is the socially acceptable outsiders. Like, the people who I've said, hey, it's wrong for you to hate those people. You should love them. But it it doesn't include the outsiders that I want to put on the outside, It's like a weird way of saying, like, you, bad person, you should love everyone. Uh, Like what if it said, love your liar of a neighbor. Love your racist neighbor. Love your unengaged, suburban, white lady neighbor who's totally a Karen. (laughs) Love your enormously rich neighbor. Love your misogynist neighbor. Like that points the finger at me. It is so easy to point the finger and so hard to actually love. Like, I don't like it when people think that because I'm a woman, I shouldn't preach. That I, like, belong in the home and should just have lots of kids. I especially don't like it when they say that I'm not built to think about theology or that my husband is responsible for my sinful behavior. Uh, Especially that last one is quite a swipe at my humanity. I think it is harmful when people live out beliefs like that and I especially cannot stand to hear it taught and I grieve for the women who sit under those teachings. You know, I've actually even sensed in this last year the Holy Spirit kind of pushing me into anger about this. And saying like, yeah, yes, this is terrible. Like, and go, keep going. And still, it is my job to love the people who believe and teach those things. Even when they tell them to my face. (laughs) And that doesn't mean that I have to accept that position, right? It doesn't mean I have to agree with them or have to be quiet. It doesn't mean I can't set boundaries with harmful behavior. Sometimes that is love. But I can't write them off. I can't define them by this one characteristic as if that's all there is to them. I can't wish them harm, and I don't get to treat them as if they are anything less than bearers of the image of God. I can argue all I want, but I cannot demonize or vilify. Though I am very tempted to do otherwise. (laughs) I don't love those limits. But Jesus is kind to me. And I used to believe all that stuff and other things besides that are harmful too. And honestly, I probably still do and I just don't even know. But Christ was kind to me and called me to himself and led me gently in a different direction and is still doing that work. And as much as I mess up and I still get caught in prejudice and selfishness and judgment, Jesus is still kind to me. Jesus died for us while we were still God's enemies. Jesus forgave those who crucified him even as they were doing it. And that will forever be a challenge to the limits of our love. You know, I would preach differently if I was talking to a different community. I love being a part of Sherman Street. That is so, we are so re- ready to stand up against injustice. And I think that's beautiful. But if there's a temptation anywhere, I think this is it. Our advocacy is like Christ, only to the degree that we can do it with love for everyone. Everyone. And Paul tells Titus that he wants Titus to stress these things. He says, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We do good for everyone. Even those who leave a bad taste in our mouth. So that we don't become the very thing that we're resisting. The church only exists because of the unending grace of our God. That nothing we can do is ever too much for that grace. And we are here because Christ is kind to us. And we can know that whatever we do we will be welcomed back into the arms of our loving God It is that grace that we depend on for everything. And it is that grace that we carry out into the world. Please pray with me. Lord, may we continue to know depths of your kindness and love, that we might feel um, free in it, that we might find ourselves whole and healed in it, and that we might also be challenged by it that it would draw us further and further into the love that you offer as we seek and struggle to extend that love to others. In Jesus' name, amen.